Welcome back to Beers and Careers. This is your host, Mark Augustinelli, and as always, Beers and Careers is brought to you by the Davis Companies, www.daviscos.com. That's D-A-V-I-S-C-O-S.com. Davis is uh, responsible for helping companies find talent a number of different ways, both contract and direct hire style talent in engineering, IT, and manufacturing settings. But they also have a product I think is interesting to share with you where they sit on site and manage your complete talent acquisition uh, for your company it's called Total Talent Management Solutions. They're called MSPs. And the reason I'm bringing them up is we talk about MSPs in today's podcast with John Smith. Uh, John is a partner um, that Davis uses. He works for CXC Global. He's responsible um, for the Americas. So he's uh, he manages our business and our clients' business abroad and helps us stay compliant across the globe in the ever-changing landscape that is the global marketplace today. So a uh, really informative podcast, really cool guy, brings a ton of enthusiasm and energy to the conversation. Uh, started out at a, as a paper boy and um, you know, ended up being a Budweiser rep in college and then got into the hospitality industry and then made his way over to temporary staffing, which led him ultimately into the risk and compliance world. So a uh, long-winded intro, Check it out. Uh, John was an awesome combo. Hope you enjoy it as well. Mr. John Smith, welcome to uh, Beers and Careers, and thanks so much for coming on. Well, first thing I can say is cheers to that. Thank you for having me. Wait, I used to work for Anheuser-Busch. I should probably properly show the label. Um, one of the things I was you know, taught when I was young in my career working for Anheuser-Busch that uh, you always have to face the bottle so that people know what you're drinking. That was the way that we always promoted our product. So uh, cheers and thank you for having me. Oh, I love it. That's, that's phenomenal. So um, I'm interested to hear about this time at Anheuser-Busch. Uh, but, but before we get into that, let me do a quick little rapid fire just to let the audience get to know you a little bit. Can you, what is your, I see you're drinking a, a beer. Is that your favorite drink, cocktail beers? Uh, uh, beer is my favorite cocktail. I'm very partial to Michelob. Um, I've always been a Michelob guy my whole life going back to working for Anheuser-Busch. And this happens to be one of their newer products, which is their organic uh, pure gold. Uh, I've had it a couple times, and uh, it's nice for the middle of the day. It's a very refreshing beer. Yeah, I like it. I like it. Now, what was your first job? Uh, first job was actually a paper boy sitting in the back of my dad's car, driving me around, throwing papers on people's uh, stoops when I was a young kid. I had a, uh, I had a shopping cart. I would go load up my papers in the morning and go deliver my papers. And then on Sunday, when the th- Sunday paper was too thick, my dad, uh, we had a Ford Pinto with a hatchback. I'd yeah. sit in the back of the hatchback with my Pinto and uh, with my papers and basically do that. But, you know, following in my dad's footsteps, I consider myself uh, a jack of all trades and master of none. I like it. I like it. Did, did the paper route continue when you got your license? Uh, no, 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 no. I did that. Uh, I, I, well, I then migrated to my bike and everything else. Yes. But uh, uh, I would say I probably had a paper route from probably the time I was probably 12 to about 16, where I grew up in northern New Jersey here in the United States. Um, you couldn't get working permit until you were 16. So right. but you could be a paper boy and do odd errands up and up, 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 up until that point. So wow. probably about 12. I love it. Um, and was Anheuser-Busch your first career job? 
That's, that's probably a good way to put it. And obviously in high school, I played sports and had some odd jobs in high school. But during college, I went to college at the University of Bridgeport in, uh, here in uh, the state of Connecticut. I was fortunate enough to be introduced to Anheuser-Busch by my counselor. He felt my personality and my appreciation of a cold beer. I'd be a great uh, candidate to be the campus representative for Anheuser-Busch. So in my sophomore year, I started, uh, of course, going to school and was the University of Bridgeport's representative for Budweiser at Anheuser-Busch. That then led to taking over all the colleges, Quinnipiac, Fairfield, Yale University, University of New Haven. I was re responsible for um, you know, promoting beer on Budweiser products on their campus, the marketing, the t-shirts, uh, Anybody older watching or listening to this, I used to be the bud man, the bud guy, um, wearing the funny costume. So, you know, that was always me. And you know, I stayed with that for about, about three years after college, doing marketing, traveling for them, um, always geared to what they called the young adult market. And then when the drinking age started to rise, 18, 19, 20, 21, that whole young adult marketing group eventually got phased out. Mm -hmm. ah, that's really interesting. Uh, out of curiosity, how did you, what was the uh, desire or incentive on your end to take that role beyond just University of Bridgeport, but all of the Connecticut universities? <clears throat> There, or, or some big ones. I don't know about all of them. I have to say success. Um, it's funny. I'm in the process of moving right now. And I went through one of my old yearbooks uh, about a week or two ago for two or three years worth of college yearbooks. And every picture you see in the yearbook is Budweiser, Bush. So, you know, we were very successful. And Anheuser-Busch said to me, can you replicate what you're doing on these other campuses where Budweiser and Anheuser-Busch products aren't as prevalent. And, you know, that's, you know, obviously gave me the chance to start working with other universities and other student councils, et cetera. And then it became very, very popular. And, you know, it's something I enjoyed. I was like, 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 like most people, college should have taken four years because of working for Budweiser. It took me five, but okay. uh, that's something I'm very proud to admit. Yes. No, uh, that's, that's really cool. And I'm guessing this was paid. Oh, absolutely. Absolutely. Yep. Yep. Yeah. That's interesting. What a cool little story. Did now, before we keep it moving, do you have a favorite quote by any chance? Are you yeah, I do actually. Yeah. There's, um, I'm a firm believer that you got to have passion for what you do and you have to have passion to get out of bed in the morning. Um, I, I have, I have, uh, two sons who are both in their mid twenties. And I always tell them about their jobs. Every morning you get out of bed and your first foot hits the ground automatically. That second foot, if that if it doesn't have some drive behind it, you know, why are you getting out of bed? So, you know, it, it, it's sort of around passion, you know, when, you know, you have to have a meaning when you get up in the morning. So mm. what, and talk to me about that. What, what does that mean better for you? Well, every day is a different adventure. I mean, yeah. when you work in the business that I am now, which is global, um, I, I'm getting emails all night. I'm getting calls. I never know what I'm waking up to. And um, 
I think it's very, you know, it drives to, you, you, you never know if, there, if you're, you're waking up to a good day or you're waking up to a bad day. Is this a new opportunity or am I putting out a fire somewhere throughout the world? So you have to have that same energy, that same desire. And, you know, sometimes problems are opportunities. You have to look at both. Mm-hmm. Oh, 100%. I, uh, that's, a, that's a perfect segue. Can you share with the audience kind of uh, a boilerplate of your day-to-day and your role and what CXC does? Yeah, well, you know, we, we're a company that partners with a lot of the great MSPs, just like Davis, um, and help them around the world with their contingent workers and the contractors that they need to manage outside the United States. Um, so my day is, you know, uh, starting today, I'm normally getting a couple emails from our from our Europe team asking me questions, opportunities, you know, any anything we have going on with clients. Then the middle of my day, I have a U.S. team. At, all over the U.S., Miami, Indiana, Ohio, L.A., our mate, uh, the biggest part of our U.S. And, and, and Canadian team are based on the West Coast in Seattle and, and, and Vancouver. So a lot of my day is working with our U.S.-based clients that are working with us here domestically or they're be, being asked to uh, service throughout the world working with some of the Davis people on your, you know, right now we're supporting Davis in uh, the UK, Singapore, Mexico, Canada. So those type of things. And then the end of my day, our Asia team is opening up. So a lot of times I'm doing my conference calls at seven o'clock at night, eight o'clock at night when our Australia and our Asia team is starting to open. Interesting. Now, for those of you who don't know, if you're listening in MSP is uh, our acronym for managed service program um for many of you know i you know davis uh the company i work for and with uh is a staffing firm and one of the products we offer is basically managing all of a company's contingent workforce um or really a lot of the times their total talent acquisition function to a degree is probably a better way of articulating that and Mm -hmm. uh davis does not today have brick and mortar around the world and we use a partner like cxc to really give us that global presence and um, alignment and depth of visibility for our customer base around the globe. So uh, there's a lot of employment law that changes state to state in the US. So as you can imagine, when you start to get into the global marketplace, it becomes even more complex and CXC is a partner we choose to help us with that. So how, now, how did you, John, get into the global world? Like, like talk to me about maybe your career path and, and how, it, how, it, I mean, I saw you worked at TechAge, so you were in our business, you were doing, right. butts, you were doing butts and seats staffing, and it looks like you rose through the ranks of that, and uh, talk to me about your time in staffing, and what was the impetus to kind of make a move? Yeah, I spent, um, for, I was in, after the Budweiser thing sort of ended, just due to the whole drinking age changing, and I, I realized I didn't want to spend my whole career, you know, with an alcoholic product either. Um, yeah. I got into the hotel business for a while. A good friend was opening up a hotel in Northern New Jersey. And he said, Hey, I'd love for you to be our, our uh, New Jersey director of sales. So I went and did that for a couple of years that led me into corporate housing. The hotel I was with was embassy suites Mm -hmm. and they were the first long-term like corporate housing type hotel um, where people would come for months and, you know, months on end and stay in your hotel. That got a company that was looking to develop corporate apartments interested in me. And they, I was able to move back to Connecticut. They had offices up here. I was able to manage White Plains, Stanford, and the Hartford office for them, got me back to Connecticut. 
And then ironically, somebody came to me, said to me, you know, you would be really good in the temporary staffing industry because corporate housing was selling to the relocation arm of, of human resources. And they said, you know, there's this other track selling to this to the staffing and 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 the human resource side. And I, and and my first thing was, ah, I don't know if I really want to get involved in that. And then, you know, here I am now, 20 plus years later, rose through the ranks of various um, staffing and contingent workforce companies. You mentioned Tech Aid. I, I was managing their uh, their New England and their New York operations for um, about four years. Then got grabbed by a company called Core Staff, uh, which is also owns Commensura. Uh, they're you know they also own Guidant. I managed their Northeast and uh, operations from Philly to Boston to Chicago uh, for about six years. Um, and then you know I've as you said the butts in the seats the staffing back then it was very competitive um, as it is now. You know working in New York City. Um, we spent, you know, upwards of $5,000 a week on a back page ad in the Sunday New York Times to recruit, you know, uh, contract and temporary workers, very competitive. And I had the opportunity to get into payroll. While I was there, I was helping manage a company in London as well. One of our clients uh, had an office in Stanford, New York, and London. So that got me into the global side. And then I realized that there's this whole track outside of staffing, which is payroll and compliance. And, you, you know, you're not really worrying about filling the role, you're worrying about making everything compliant and, and proper payroll. So I started that in 2005. And, you know, my, you know, the past, you know, 16 years has been 100% focused on contractor management, compliance, payroll. Um, and, you know, what started is just New York, Connecticut, London is now 75 countries. Wow. Very, that's, that's, that's wild. I was going to say staffing does kind of suck you in. <laughs> it absolutely it's, does. It's interesting. And, and you kind of talked about the global marketplace. And I know in the UK, for example, people go to college and they can't wait to be in staffing. We don't have that level of culture <laughs> in the United States, right? Like people, I didn't know staffing existed and it was happened by happenstance that I got involved in it. And then uh, here exactly. I am 13, uh, 12 years later or so. Just... And I've made, you know, it's funny you mentioned that, Mark. I've made that exact comment to our one of my colleagues. She's uh, she's not with us anymore over. She ran our, our UK office uh, for about seven years. And I said to her, you know, there, there seems to be a different drive in the UK for people to be recruiters where that's what they want to do. They, you know, that's their, that's their, that's their career path. That's, you know, they go to college to learn that here in the U S you sort of go for human resources or, or, you know, psychology or something like that. And you wind up in staffing. So it's, 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 it's very different how the approach is throughout the world. It, that, that is really interesting. And I would imagine like, I think what's interesting about connecting with someone like you is um, I have so many questions almost about operating globally. Like you, like you literally interface with people around the globe day in and day out. And I'm kind of interested to know when the pandemic hit, was it kind of business as usual for you? Like did anything real, I mean, and I don't mean in terms of um, what you were dealing with in terms of topics and themes, but I mean in terms of like your work day and your work schedule and the way in which you work already being so focused on telecommuting to a degree. Yeah, I've, I've been home for 15 years. My staff all around the US, half of them are home-based. 
I always allowed my Seattle team to work three days in the office, two days out of the office. So we were very acclimated to it. What we learned was our clients weren't. And, you know, we had, you know, I think us being home and it, we didn't have, we didn't skip a beat. Um, we, we were able to, you know, help our clients, help our partners like Davis. Um, our offices around the world that were office centric, it was a challenge to them to get home. Um, you know, people weren't accustomed to taking their laptops home. You know, to, you know, people had hard desktops. We are, we've always, I've built this company for the past 11 years that you should be able to do it anywhere. I'm here in Connecticut. My, you know, my other senior team is based in Seattle and we've worked very efficiently for the past, the, the, the past 11 years. And now we're seeing that opposite effect now. You know, I was just talking to a very good friend of mine last night uh, who had a very successful career at uh, the Nestle company. And he's saying he's seeing a lot of people not wanting to come back to an office environment, wanting to stay remote. And how are, and his question to me is, John, how is your company, you know, doing it all? And so I said, you know, we're obviously flourishing right now because uh, workers are starting to dictate how they're, uh, how they want to work. And they're willing to come back to the office, but not full time. Uh, I just got a call from a client yesterday that says we have this worker who's been with us for seven years. He wants to relocate back to Chile. How can CXC help us down in down in Latin America? I said for us, that's that's easy. So I think you're going to see a migration of workers. And as Davis, you're in the, you know the talent management, talent acquisition. Um, you have to be flexible. You have to be nimble. But understanding that right now talent. It's, it's a talent-driven market, and if you want the best talent, you got to listen to what they want and acclimate to you know their environment, but making it compliant on your company's environment, uh, on on your company's compliance standards. Yeah, it's going to be it's going to be a really interesting challenge. I think um, to your point, you got to be you got to assimilate, and and it is the talent is driving the market. I was interesting. I had someone on the podcast, two, Megan Evangelista, two episodes ago, three episodes ago, and she is a university recruiter um, from, from Dell Technologies. Right. And she said that the overwhelming data out of uh, recent college grads were, I want to say it was upwards of over 90%, wanted to be in an office the vast majority of the time, which I thought was interesting. And I think I think this whole, um, I'm sure you get them too. I get all these LinkedIn messages being like, well, you contribute to like what you think the future of the work will be, be and all that kind of stuff. And it's like, I think it's almost too early to tell because I think it's, I don't think this whole hybrid model work from home, work in the office is really going to take shape uh, con in any concrete fashion for, I think, uh, maybe a few years as people mm -hmm. still figure it out. I, do you have any insight into how you think things will shape from? Well, yeah, I, I can tell you. I mean, as I told you, I'm in the process of I'm in the process of moving. We sold our home a, a, a couple of weeks ago. I've lived here for 23 years. I never thought I'd move, but there's such. I live in an outskirts suburban area outside New York City. We this area I'm in Connecticut is just being deluged right now by people wanting to get out of New York. They want to live in the suburbs. And so I think you're going to see 
companies trying to figure out, okay, how do you get a worker that you want that and you can let them spend some time at home, be remote, but also come into the office, you know, maybe hot desking, hoteling, yes. whatever you want, whatever you want to consider it, that, 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 that they're there when, when they need be the, the family that's buying our home, um, they're from upstate Connecticut. He is working in New York City and he's going to have to be required to go in two days a week. So he wanted to be a little bit closer. So you're absolutely right, Mark. I think we're at a place right now where we're still trying to feel things out. Uh, some companies are taking a pretty hard stance because they're paying a lot of money for real estate right. and offices and they want their workers back. And some of them realize that, you know, workers can also be very productive at home, I'm a firm believer of that, and uh, I think companies are are, are, are companies are going to are are going to sit and figure out the best approach in the short term. But what's what's their long what's their long term plan going to be? Do you feel um, it's actually probably appropriate? I was going to say how what you know the advice I'd give my kids, but you've got kids in their twenties. You said that are probably up in the midst of this. Do you think they have a better shot? at building their career in an office as opposed to working remotely? I think it's a combination. I have one yeah. son, my older son works in Pennsylvania for a major food company and they're giving them flexibility. It's a private, it's a large privately held food company. They're allowing them full, full flexibility because they realize that the worker, this, the company is productive and they're even more productive. Uh, my other son works in a more hands-on environment and you know he has to go into his he has to go into his workplace to do training and guidance and do and do uh, the reviews. So I think it, it it you know it I think it I think it it really depends. You know, people asked me you know 15 years ago, how do you like working from home? I said I love it. And people said to me, oh, I can never do it. Well, there's more people doing it like I am now, and I'm getting the sense that they're starting to love it too. So. I think I, I think you're right. I think probably the long term answer will be balance, right? Like I. I, uh, it's one of those things where to your point, it's funny as a, as a person myself who leads, uh, I've got five divisions or P and L's that I'm responsible for. And, mm -hmm. and we talk about it and we're, we're getting people back in the office one or two days a week. And on the day we're back in the office, you do see production drop significantly because yep. it's new when people are talking to each other. Right. And so it's like, all right, well, that's not exactly good from the black and white number <laughs> sense. But at the same time, I remember back to when I was first cutting my teeth in our business, and I think my growth trajectory would have been much longer without the osmosis of listening to other people and sharing oh, tips yeah. and ideas. So yeah. I think it's all a balance. It's going to have to be exactly. what's right for the person. It's uh, it's certainly an intriguing and hot topic in, in talent acquisition, though. It's, uh, absolutely. Yeah, absolutely. You know, I used to have a two-hour commute from my home here into New York City. That's four hours a day. I was on the train, and the train you're sort of condensed. You can do some work. You you can you you can basically do some reading. Uh, it was rude to be on your phone, even though people obviously were. But you take those four hours. You know, I would say at least half to three of those hours for me are now productive hours. So right. you look at people that are, you know, doing more, and I'm on the phone or Zoom calls or WhatsApp or you know, talking to people throughout the world. People that are doing, you know, like regular data work or, you know, project work, you take, you give them four hours or two hours or one hour where they're not in a car, they can be more productive. Yes. No, that's, that's interesting. I, now, on the global piece, 
like I'm interested in it because I think we all kind of sometimes forget how big our world is because we live in generally in a fairly small ecosystem. Now, you being in greater New York City, I think you probably have a little bit more of a global perspective all the time, just because mm-hmm. there's so much multinational business going on. And we have it in Boston, too. But, you know, I work for a company that's headquartered in the suburbs of Boston. Right. So we're, we're in the city a little less. For you, was it when you made the move to like the global piece of compliance and and uh, payroll, was it was it because it was more complicated than what you were doing today or was the global piece part of the driving desire to do so or both? Like, how did you how did you end up there? in your careers? I guess it's, you know, if you look at it, you said filling roles, you know, I was managing teams that were, were that, that were actually the recruiters, IT, legal yeah. staffing, admin, clerical. Um, and, but I just saw the compliance side in the global piece, more the multinational companies, what was appealing to me, the multinational companies sort of like Davis has, and like a lot of companies we have, they have offices around the world and, you know, they have very good contingent workforce managers here in the U.S. that have put very structured programs together, cost savings, SLAs, et cetera. But around the world, their regional operations were running like renegades. They were local vendors, no pay rate analysis, no bill rate sheets, no markup guidelines. And they said, hey, can you help us around the world? And I said, I I looked at myself and I said, you know, that's an opportunity I'd love to be involved in. You know, you always want to learn more. You always want to branch out. Um, I've always been a person that's loved to travel. So, um, you know, I just saw it as an opportunity to, number one, go learn about the world that, you know, you can only learn so much about the world watching TV or looking at the Internet, if you believe it or not. Yeah. But, you know to go experience another culture. And, and, and I never lived around the world, but I've spent an, an enormous amount of time traveling around the world. You really get to appreciate other, other, other cultures. And, you know, to me, a couple places to me that have really stuck out is Vietnam and Thailand. You know, these are developed countries that are becoming westernized, but the work ethic of those populations is, it's, they don't have a social security system. They don't have a welfare system. So you have to work to survive. And the things that I've seen there, you know, people working, trying to carve out a life, it's, 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 it's just amazing. And it gives you a better appreciation when you come back here, how fortunate we are for everything that we have. Um, you know, but you, you realize that everyone's doing this, as I, I, I use the term in our company, for the global good. And uh, I think, you know, and you look at it, we're all doing things for the right reasons. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's, that's a really interesting point. I, I was very fortunate. I had the opportunity to live in Australia for about 18 months uh-huh. after college. And I must admit, I went uh, for very selfish reasons and to have fun and do that whole thing. But I remember coming back and being like, man, I'm so, I loved my time there, but I was like, man, I'm so grateful for what yeah. I have. And I almost didn't realize it. Um, as much until you get that outside perspective. So it's, it's, it's quite an interesting dynamic. Do you, what's been the most surprising thing about working globally for you? Like were there preconceived notions you had that were smashed? No, um, one of the most surprising I, I think is, you know, if, if I look at our company and, and what we do ar- around the world, the most surprising thing is Latin America and Asia are still in a contingent workforce environment, probably five years behind us. Right now, 
Um, you know, the things that clients are asking us for in Asia and in and Davis, and, uh, and Davis is one of them, and in Latin America is recruiting support. Right. Clients want to be active in these markets, but they don't know how to recruit. So like here in the, here in the, here in the U.S., we don't, we don't do any recruiting. In Europe, we don't do any recruiting. Australia, we don't do any recruiting. The bigger markets, but the smaller emerging markets, companies realize they need a talent acquisition program. And so CXC, who's never, ever been in the recruitment industry, in those select markets will help you find, find a candidate. You know, if, if you would ask me five years ago, would CXC be doing this? I would have said, no, never. But you have to evolve, you know, our CEO, Peter, saw a need in, us, in, in Asia to basically do this. Our manager down in Latin America, Fernando, same thing, came to me and said, John, I think if we could re- help companies recruit, we could get more contractor management payroll. I said, well, let's give it a try. Mm, that's, it. That's, re- that's really interesting. I think uh, it, it's funny how, like, so Davis specializes, as you know, and just tell, sharing with our audience, we specialize in mid-market programs. So, so companies that don't have more than, let's call it $40 million, $50 million worth of contingent labor spend. That's our, that's our focus because there's a lot of global firms that we compete against that really go after much higher spends than that. And I'm kind of interested from your standpoint, do you see dramatic differences between the recruiting approaches CXC takes versus you know, one of the top three global staffing firms and how they cobble together an MSP all over the world? Well, I think what you're seeing is an unbundling of the managed service, the MSP business. You know, companies realized if they want to give one company access to their talent acquisition, their compliance, their payroll, managing their vendors, paying their their vendors, there's a lot going on there. And what we see some of the mid-market and large-size companies doing now is unbundling that MSP and saying, okay, you're great at managing vendors, but you're really not you're good at it, but you're not great at recruitment and talent acquisition is very important and your compliance isn't isn't 100% there. So let's bring in specialized vendors and 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 put together a combined MSP program with SMEs, subject, subject matter experts that can run programs much more efficiently, much more cost effectively and you know and, and and the bottom line is you know drive financial results to the organization and we're, not only do we see that from companies like yourself the mid markets the davis we have we work with a lot of companies like you but you know those three or four big guys that you're we all know who 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 they are in the msp business you know they're 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 feeling those same effects and i think they're feeling it a little bit more uh, because they want everything. They want to control everything. And I think companies are saying, hey, we want experts. We don't want one over one over, overarching you know, program uh, managing everything. It's, a, it's interesting because for, for me growing up in the business, John, I thought that those 800-pound gorillas in the room were, were almost undefeatable because of that. Because I just assumed that why wouldn't you want it all managed together? And then it's, right. you know... Um, I, I think of myself similar to you, uh, master of many things and, and uh, <laughs> jack of all trades as opposed to master of none. And it's like that actually, you know, it's really hard to do that in that product service offering. It's really it hard is. to keep it, it all together. Exactly. Um, yeah. And in reality, you got to be an expert at running the program. And then, and then we also know that as global companies grow now, it seems like their TA teams are always segmented as well. You, your recruiting strategy 
in Singapore is different than it is in the UK, which is different than it is in the US. I mean, absolutely, the cultures are so dramatically different. I mean, even yeah. just in our industry of staffing, we just joked about how the, how you get into staffing in the US versus the UK is a right totally different, different challenge. So yeah. you can't apply the same things to everything. It's do you, what do you see coming in our industry? Like, what, what do you see as um, things that uh, maybe our clients or or similar um, type folks who have MSP programs are maybe not prepared for missing out on or not taking advantage of? Well, some of the good things you guys are doing and some of the other, you know, uh, leading MSPs are, you know, helping companies with talent acquisition, talent pooling, talent management, um, you know, helping companies put together, you know, pools of workers, whether they're uh, past contractors, past temporary workers, retirees, uh, tapping into, you know, the, the many social media plat, uh, talent plat, I would say social media, talent platforms that are out there and plug into, plug into that network of workers that want to work in a contingent temporary type environment using some of the evolving technologies. So there's some great talent acquisition, you know, softwares out there that I know you guys are partnering with CXC is being brought in on the backside to do the payroll and, and, and the compliance, you know, utilize the technologies that are available to all of us. I think that's something that every company is, is paying attention to. Can we put together a talent pool? I know one of your larger clients is already in process of doing it, you know, and we're happy to partner there. Um, and then I, and I think, you know, what this, there's this other thing about AI, you know, where does, uh, you know, where does AI come into place? How much in the, in the talent acquisition um, uh, industry or, or segment, can you use AI? You know, can you tap into LinkedIn or can you tap into a pool? So as, as our, as our market continue, industry continues to grow. And I think more companies post COVID are going to become more reliant on contingent to a certain extent. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, how can they tap into the, that pool of quality workers that are out there that are willing to work contract? Um, you know, it's funny in, in some countries you asked about one of the global nuances in some global countries, country, co- workers do not want to be contractor or they don't want to be temporary because that's viewed as a lower status. But that is even starting to change because they realize they're getting workers are getting flexibility. They're getting access to international companies that they've never had access to work for before. So if you could work a year and a half for a, a, a very good, large you know, global company, put that on your resume. That's going to help you further on down the line. Hmm. I almost feel like to a degree from what I understand. And again, I'm only 11, 12 years into this business. But I feel like that stigma applied to the U.S. for years. Like yeah. the contractors weren't weren't um, the same level. And I think in Europe, they've always had a, a much larger segment of the population work as contractors. And some of this globalization, yeah. and the effect of that is, is spreading over to us. It's it's definitely interesting. And I think certainly when your spouse has benefits and you don't have to worry about some Correct. of those huge things, Absolutely. it becomes super advantageous. And we also know that, you know, Yep. People, we forget oftentimes in the talent acquisition space that people go through different phases of their lives where different jobs and opportunities um, have different levels of sizzle for them, right? Absolutely. So, so, so I think the, the contract workforce certainly 
offers that. Um, yeah, and, and to to and and to your point about Europe, but you also see the thing that we pay attention to and that we advise you on, Davis and our other clients, is that changing legislation like the UK and IR35, the Netherlands. Australia, you know, Mexico just changed an outsourcing law where they don't want governments. Are, governments are, are are happy with their workers working. It's good for the economic benefit of the country. It's good for the economic well-being of the person. Governments want taxation, so as long as their workers can work in a compliant manner, manner, and they're getting their taxation, they're happy. But you're going to see a lot more governments around the world as more and more independent contractors and freelancers and corporate corps come into play. And I'm not talking about the Ubers and the Lyfts yes. and, and the food delivery people, the professional side, they just want to make sure that they're getting their proper taxation. Yes. The way Uncle Sam needs his rep or. Yeah, they all do. Yeah. <laughs> Every <laughs> revenue. That's what they're there for. Absolutely. Yeah, exactly. Get, get insert government name here. But do you, on that topic, um, and it's one of the reasons we love CXC and, and some of the stuff that you guys are doing for us is it's so hard to stay on top of labor law is ever changing and the legislation around payroll and taxes is, is ever changing. How um, it seems to me that much of what we're adopting is, um, you know, as an employer is creating more red tape. It's creating more. Um, I mean, I'm not saying it's bad. I'm just saying from the employer's point of view, there's more hurdles to jump through. There's more processes to follow. And and ultimately, the cost of employing goes up to a, to a degree, oh, right? Absolutely. Sick time laws and those types of things. The, the recent legislation in Mexico has made it more challenging. I mean, there's just things are evolving. And I, and I don't necessarily have an opinion of if it's for better or worse. I think it's just it is what it is. And you have to adapt to the marketplace. How do you see that affecting us in the US as we start to adopt more of these types of things, as well as I, I think you combine that with incredible wage pressure happening because you've got, you've got a, um, hey, we, we're in the manufacturing business. We support a lot of manufacturers, global manufacturers, and we fill their engineering, their IT, but we also fill their labor. And those pay rates, are sometimes you know getting uh, killed by the 800 pound gorilla of an Amazon moving into town, paying you know what accounts to 10,000, 12,000 more dollars a year, but they're locked in. Like I, I think there's there's going to have to be some level of a market correction, one way or the other, coming at us. I would say in the in the next in the next decade is probably a safe bet. Yeah, I, I would agree. Like you see it here in here in the U.S., driving the minimum wage to fifteen dollars an hour, which everybody right. needs a sustainable minimum wage to live. Totally, yeah. to totally agree with it. I don't know if I don't know if a high school student needs fifteen dollars right. an hour, right. but certainly right. a, a professional, a, somebody supporting a family does. Um, I think one of the uniquenesses we see around the world, and, and you sort of mentioned it, is people think they can employ cheaper around the world, mm. and you can on par. It's going to cost you 50 to 75% less in salary for the worker, but all the benefits and uh, the contributions and taxes that we have to pay workers around the world, it, it adds up pretty quick. I had a client the other day said, I got a little sticker shock here, John. I didn't realize that it was going to cost me, I think it was Italy, it was going to, it, it was 55% of the salary to pay the worker. I said, yeah, with all the paid, they, they, get, they get a minimum month time off. We have to pay into their social security similar scheme. Um, there is no healthcare scheme because it's, it's all socialized medicine. 
But I think people realize they can employ cheaper around the world. But when you start paying all the benefits, what they perceived as a major um, um, savings opposed to the U.S. only really equates about 25 to 33, 33% when you start adding in all the costs. Like down in Brazil, we have to pay, uh, we, have to, we have to provide workers lunch. We have to give them what they call a lunch voucher. We have to give them a transportation voucher. Um, you know, every country has their little bit of nuances. So I think as country, companies realize they can employ around the world, as long as they're comfortable that, you know, they're not going there to save 75%. Yes. You can go and save and you can get a, a quality worker and a, and a quality workforce. One of the big things we've seen, that, and you asked about COVID before, one of the things we've seen already is a shift on call centers. Most call centers were based in India or the Philippines. A lot of U.S. companies are now moving their call centers to Costa Rica, Mexico, and English-speaking Latin American countries because they want them in the same time zones as the United States and have a, a little bit more control. Uh, the Indian and the Philippine call centers, when those were call centers, when they had to go, when, when they couldn't go to the office due to COVID, they were shut down. And that created, as we all experienced, you used to call, and we all got, hey, due to COVID, we have longer than expected hold times. That was the reason why. Interesting. That's, re that's really interesting. I, it's funny because I think to the layperson, they think that jobs go overseas due to cost savings or generally on the product and on the labor side. And I think the reality of the market in, in this new, in the future is it really should be more for decisions around uh, stronger labor pools, different Correct. labor pools and, and, and what they're going to value add. And then, and then to your point, if you're only saving 25%, but you have a type of product where you got to keep close tabs on it, right. you can't wait for a container to show up with the wrong specs. It's a, it's a, it's, it's an ever evolving situation. So absolutely, wow. that's, that's real. That's really interesting. Do you um, any other comments on the future of that from a workforce standpoint? No, I think I think, I, I think you know you, you have to you know compliance is going to be important. Globalization is going to be important. Um, to adding to your point, the other reason why companies go around the world is like sort of like what you alluded to with the UK and the recruiter. In some countries, a call center job is a great job. So, you know, it's, it's, it's a top echelon job in a country like that. Here right. in the U.S., if you're working, you might not be, oh, I don't want to be a call center person. So right. you're going to where, as, as sort of going back to what I said earlier, you know, those people in the Philippines, Costa Rica, India, they're putting both feet on the floor when they got to bed. They're excited to go to work. Yeah. Here, oh, am I excited to go be a call center person here in here in the United States? So I think that's why companies are also taking, you know, they're looking looking at this, you know, global approach to to talent in certain in certain segments. Yeah, it's interesting. It's it's wild because it's incredibly competitive. We're very interconnected, and I think about my mom and dad telling me in high school or in early college to read Thomas Friedman, "The World Is Flat," and thinking <laughs> yeah. about globalization, and it's like. Man, we're still globalizing, and and yep. you know, like, and and to the point where, as someone who read that in two thousand and five, you'd venture to guess we'd be globalized by now, right? right. But it's like, this thing is not, it's not slowing down. It's not um, getting closer to completion. We we it's just con constantly evolving, and I think uh, it'd be really interesting to see what happens over the next years. I, I read a statistic today that in Massachusetts the average wage needs to be at least $35 an hour for you to afford the medium 
home price in our yeah. state uh, without it being more than a third of your take-home pay. And yeah. it's like, so I'm with you. It's like, we, we know that pay rates are going to have to rise, but at the same time, I think everyone should have the opportunity to be a paper boy and make a couple bucks an hour so Thank they can learn, learn work ethic. And I think that's some of the nuanced conversation we're, miss, we're missing in the, in the macro dialogue globally and i think absolutely so, absolutely yeah. and, and the only concern i think and some of our clients have is about security and it as they go yeah. around the world you know data data protection data transfer uh, intellectual property so you just have to be you know real defined you know you, you got to do your talent acquisition search is good you gotta you know you, you got to do your background that's the other thing that we always recommend our clients even though you're hiring somebody around the world let's do as thorough as a background check as 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 locally allowable yeah. um, because again you 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 always you want to protect your data you want to protect your ip is that what keeps you guys up the most at night with would you say cybersecurity issues yeah, well after what's gone on here with the you know the energy company the food yeah. company and then oh what did i just hear about the map was it the massachusetts steamship company just got hit i think um, i think i think you're right I think I just read that today. The, yeah. the furries going to the vineyard. I think. Yes. I think. I think I just heard. But yeah, I mean, it, 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 we're 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 a global company, and you know, absolutely. I mean, we pay people, so you know, right. we have to be very concerned with data and data security. I mean, thank God we have a great IT company. Everything is very secure on the cloud. I know I have to personally change my email access once a week, and then. Once in the middle of the week, I have to re-enter my existing password um, because they know, you know, people like myself being a managing director, you know, I, I've been, you know, I've been spammed and, you know, I get, I just got an email, a spam email from a, our phony CEO this past week. People think they can, people want to get access to us. You just got to be careful. We do, a, we do a real good job educating our team. Uh, every other week we go through a, like an IT cyber a quiz that we all have to do online. And at first we're like, what is this? But now we're really seeing the meaning of it. So. Uh, you know, I appreciate the need for it, but as the person who also has to do some of those things, man, is it annoying. Like, I hope <laughs> my, I hope my, yours, your, um, your requirements are a little bit more stringent than ours. And I'm really hoping my peer that leads our RIT, internal IT, doesn't listen yeah. to this podcast. And, uh, <laughs> bring uh, they're all, you know what, they're, they're always, the IT people are a little bit different than us. We all love them. They have their swim lanes. We have our swim lanes. Amen. And we wouldn't be able to do this without them, right? What we're Absolutely. Doing right and, yeah, yeah, exactly. and that's the thing about a company. Every, you hire people for their traits. You hire people for their capabilities. And you hire them for their ability ability to blend in and be part of the team you don't you don't want two alphas you don't want two a's you want a team that can work together learn together uh enjoy together and also challenge together well john i appreciate your time coming on i think it's been great i think uh hopefully that's why we're a good team together cxc yep. and davis and and appreciate um what you guys do for us for our client base and uh, keeping us on the cutting edge and keeping our clients safe and the risk mitigated at, at you know, where it can be. Excellent. And we're thrilled for the opportunity, Davis. You know, I started with Eric a long time ago and work with a lot of your team, helping them around the world. We appreciate the partnership. Thanks for the opportunity to share my career. Hopefully it wasn't too boring. No, um, you know, I'll say one more time, thanks to Anheuser-Busch for getting me started. Oh, I shouldn't say that. Thanks to my dad for getting me started on, on the paper route. And, yeah. you know, thanks to Anheuser-Busch, my first real job. But, uh, 
I love what I do now. I have a, I have a great team, but more importantly, we got a great bunch of partners in companies like Davis and others, you know, that just make us put that second foot on the floor every morning when whenever we get out of bed. Oh, excellent. What a way to end it, John. Have a, have a wonderful rest of your Thank day. Thank you. And uh, pleasure meeting you, man. Thank you. I appreciate your time. Thank you. Bye-bye. Okay, bye.